0: Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know him more. One thing I dislike very much, it's waiting. Any type of waiting, I don't know if you're with me, I don't like waiting from big life-changing things like when I was in between jobs and waiting to see what was next to little everyday kind of things like waiting for my wife Melinda to decide on what she wants to eat for dinner every single night. And now she's pregnant, so her cravings can change at any moment in time. Like when I'm in line at Costco, it just could change. I don't think any of us like waiting and and i can prove it right now does anyone here enjoy to wait on hold to speak to a customer service representative on the phone no no one likes this like if i need help i want a human just give me a human like when i hear their robot i immediately say representative and then they'll say something like i'm sorry to best serve you we need to know more representative I'm sorry, representative. You kind of have to beat the robot. And then they torture you with horrible music. I, I heard it described as a mix of elevator music and a migraine. It's horrible. And then you wait for like an hour and 13 minutes and you finally hear a human voice and you get so relieved you cry a little. But they can't help you. No, that would be way too easy. They'll say something like, I'm sorry, I don't have access to your information on my machine, but the tech department does. Let me transfer you. Bloop. And then you're waiting for another 27 minutes with the elevator migraine music. Waiting is terrible. Do you know something we all hated hearing growing up? You'll understand when you're older. That was so irritating. As a kid, I hated hearing those words because I wanted to know Now I wanted to understand. I didn't want to wait until I got older. Now that I'm an adult, you might look at me and and think that I still don't understand. I still don't know what I'm doing. And you would be correct. I don't know what I'm doing. Do you? Like, I think the reason why our parents told us you're going to understand when you're older is because they didn't understand. Like, that has to be it. Like, I am tempted to just be honest with my children, sit them down and say, hey, listen, mom and dad don't know. And I got to be honest, you will never make sense of this either. So let's just move on and go back to coloring our faces with permanent marker, okay? The Bible encourages us to do something different, though. Instead of telling us that you'll understand when you're older, it actually tells us to ask someone who's older so that we can understand. We can read this in Deuteronomy. It says, remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you your elders, and they will explain to you. But even there, it's saying, ask your parents. If they don't know, ask someone older than your parents. But it just, it seems like it doesn't make sense, because I'm 35 years old, and in my lifetime, I've used a rotary phone, a payphone, and a flip phone. Like, I was alive for when the general public first started using the internet, and today I'm the online director. Like, what? (laughs) So when you look at the Bible and what it says about older people teaching younger people, it seems very easy to dismiss it and say the generation gap is too big, The advancement in technology is way too fast for us to even learn from each other. So then we get younger people who feel helpless and older people who feel useless. And I'm here to say today that those two of those things are not true. So how in the world does this work? I hope to show us that today in the book of Titus this morning. We've been in a sermon series on Titus discussing what it looks like to be a credible Christian. So I invite you to open to Titus chapter 2 with me using a physical Bible or a device we're gonna hang out in verses one through five. So, so far, we have a good sense of what it means to be a credible Christian or a trustworthy follower of Jesus. We have seen how the writer, the apostle Paul, how he defines what that is, and he tells this to a pastor named Titus. He defines it this way. A credible Christian is a person growing in knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. In chapter one, Paul tells Titus what it looks like to be a credible leader in the church, and today he's doing something similar, but instead of talking about church leadership, he's gonna talk about the older people in the church, okay? So before we dive in, let's pray and ask God that he would speak to us this morning. Father God, we thank you for this moment that we have together as your church. As we open up your word, we pray that you would speak plainly To everyone willing to listen, I pray that you would do only what you can do, change hearts today. We thank you for everything you're doing, and we're excited to see everything you will do. We thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. I want to quickly say hello to those joining us online and those of you in the chapel. It's amazing how we get to worship God together and open up God's word together. So let's read Titus 2, verse 1. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. So last week we learned about people in the church who were full of meaningless talk and deception. So now Paul points to Titus and says, you, this is what you're going to do instead, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. He's encouraging Titus to cling to the truth of God's word. And the reason why he's doing that is because he wants the truth of God's word to shape who Titus is. And then he goes on and tells us what older people look like when their lives are shaped by truth. And here's the point that uh, that Paul is trying to get across to Titus and to all of us today. If the truth shapes your life, your life can shape others. It's that simple. Yes, it's wonderful to gain knowledge of the truth, but if that truth doesn't shape us, change us, then it's meaningless. That knowledge is meaningless. So Paul, he paints a picture of a life shaped by truth and he starts by telling Titus what to teach the older men in the church. So check out verse two. It says, teach the older men. Okay, I have to stop right there and ask, what age do you have to be to be considered an older man, according to Paul? Now, if we take a look at ancient Greek literature, they use this word older for men as young as 50. So if you're a man here today and you're listening and you're at least 50 or around that age, you can consider yourself part of this older men group. Congratulations. It says, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. So he lists four characteristics of older men who are shaped by truth. So let's go through each one very briefly. The first is an older man, shaped by truth, will be temperate. This word means sober. It means restraint. It means to be clear-headed. In other words, everything in moderation. So this man, this older man of God, everything he does from drinking, eating, sleeping, having fun, spending money, he thinks it through and does it in moderation. The second is an older man, shaped by the truth, is worthy of respect. He doesn't demand respect, uh, respect from others. People naturally honor him because of his good character and it doesn't take you very long to hang out with this guy to know he's a solid guy. Number three is an older man shaped by truth to self control This is not a man who tries to control others. He doesn't try to manipulate others. In fact, he can control himself his own desires, his thoughts, his own impulses. And fourthly, an older man's shape of the truth is sound. And the word sound means to be healthy. Healthy in what? Well, Paul says, he uses three words, healthy in faith, love, and endurance. And actually, this last characteristic here is what holds the first three together. And Paul, he mentions these three words when he writes to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, we remember before our God and Father your work, produced by what? Faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's describing an older man whose faith is healthy. They know what they believe about God. And from their faith, we see the kind of work they produce. And because they have experienced the beautiful love of Jesus, they work very hard at loving other people. And when things get difficult, their healthy endurance helps them to focus their eyes on Jesus. I once had an an older Bible professor who said something to us in class, and it stayed with me for many years. And this professor is a man of God, you know, the type of man that you want to be when you are older. He said, I've sinned more than all of you because I've been living more than all of you, but I've also been forgiven more than all of you. Older men, let me encourage you by saying this. If the truth shapes your life, your life can shape others. Christian author Natasha Crane, she wrote about how the world tries to shape us with lies. And she summarizes all these lies in four statements. And this is really interesting. I wanted to share this with you. Check out these four statements that are actually lies. Feelings are the ultimate guide. Happiness is the ultimate goal. Judging is the ultimate sin. God is the ultimate guest. I mean, feel free to write that down, take a picture, email me for my notes, because we won't have time to elaborate on each one. But just taking a look at those four statements, we, be, we can begin to realize all the lies that we hear in the world. So older man, when your life is shaped by the truth of God's word, which is unchanging and unmoving, it's a firm foundation. We younger guys can't help but want to be like you. The type of man that when he walks into a room, people look his way with respect and a smile. The type of man that isn't legalistic but speaks the truth in love. A man that is self-controlled and does everything in moderation, never allowing his feelings to be the ultimate guide. So Paul says all of that in one sentence, so much truth packed in there. So then he switches it up and tells Titus what to teach the women. So let's read verse three. Likewise, teach the older women. Okay, I have to stop right there and ask again, what age do you have to be to be considered an older woman, according to Paul? That, my friends, is the million dollar question. I realize the next few words that come out of my mouth are very crucial. Let me help you out. Spoiler alert. Paul is going to talk about the older women teaching the younger women to love their children. So I think it's helpful to say that older women, according to Paul, is someone who was old enough to be the mother of a grown child. Like she's past the age of raising a family stage. In other words, if you're old enough to be my mother, consider yourself, and only if you're willing, to be part of the older women group. Okay? Let's move on. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slandered or addicted to much wine. So reverent in the way they live has to do with behaving in a way that honors God. Like this older woman is respected and devoted to God. Her behavior is consistent. She is one way at church and she's the same way with her friends and at work. Their behavior comes out of their deep love for Jesus, and then he describes what this looks like, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine. I found it interesting. The word Paul uses here for slander is the Greek word diabolos, which we use for the term devil. This word is used to describe a malicious talker. In other words, don't use your words to hurt others. Don't spread gossips. Don't speak lies. When you do, you're acting more like a diabolos. I believe this also includes refusing to listen to gossip, which that's difficult, right, for all of us. I mean, we'll get together with a group of friends and they'll start spilling juicy gossip. And we're not saying anything, but we're listening, right? Like before, before I came on staff here at Faith Church, I was serving at a small church. And every week, certain people who lived around the church would dump their garbage in the church's dumpster. So like the church was paying to throw away their garbage, and we did nothing about it, so they kept on doing it. It's very similar when it comes to gossip. I heard it said this way. A gossiper usually knows where to take his garbage. Avoid making your ear someone else's garbage cans. Then Paul adds, do not be addicted to much wine. He's talking about being enslaved to wine or any alcoholic beverage. It's needing a drink when you're stressed out. It's needing a drink to be able to be yourself and let loose. I just found it interesting how Paul, he, he puts slandering and wine together. Slander comes out of your mouth. Wine goes into your mouth. It's kind of like they complement each other. Paul is urging Titus to teach the older women to practice self-control with what goes in and out of their mouths. Instead, what should they do? Verse 3 says at the end, but to teach what is good. And he doesn't even use a verb here. Like teach what is good is one word and it's an adjective. It's describing this older woman. It's not necessarily something she does. It's who she is. Paul is saying, teach the older women to be respected, not for their juicy stories and how much they can drink, but respected and known for all the good things we learn from them every time they're around. Like this is not a formal teaching moment. This is all the things we learn by just being around this woman of God. Then verse four tells us why Paul wants Titus to teach the older women all of this. He says, then, or so that, they can urge the younger women or encourage the younger women. Paul is giving Titus very good advice here because young women will not always listen to a man who's trying to teach them how to be a young woman, Right, so Because as I read this, I was thinking, why did Paul spend more time, more verses, talking about older women and not as much for older men? And I thought, probably because Titus needed a little extra help with ideas on what younger women need to learn. Because, well, Titus wasn't a woman. So Paul, in his wisdom and experience, and through the Holy Spirit, he wrote him a nice list of things that older women can teach younger women. So let's take a look at that list in verse 4. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children. It helps to know the context in which Paul is writing this. In our Western society, you marry someone after you love them. That's at least what I think most people would want. In the East, marriages weren't as romantic as this. Many of them would get married because of an arrangement between their parents, and then they would have to learn how to love their husband. So at the time Paul wrote this letter, a woman who truly loved her husband would stand out. Like to younger women, this was like finding a unicorn. Like I've heard of a wife like you, but I've never seen one before. Please show me how to love my husband. What is the secret? And maybe your wife listening to me and you're wondering the same thing right now. Let me tell you the secret. The secret to loving your husband is something you'll have to learn from an older woman who figured it out, because I seriously don't know. And I think that's why Paul is telling Titus to delegate this to the older women who has it figured out. So the first thing older women can teach is to love your husband and children. The second thing in verse five says, to be self-controlled and pure. Paul wanted these younger women to be faithful to their husband. He wanted them to be women who who take their marriage vows seriously. What else? Verse 5 says, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. (laughs) I'm kidding. Relax. Sheesh. Okay, we can spend an, an entire sermon series unpacking this, but because of time, I just want to quickly explain the spirit of what Paul is trying to say. Paul is not saying that women are only good for being busy at home and not pursuing a job or career outside the home. He is not saying women need to be so kind that they never speak their minds. He's not saying that women need to obey their husbands and have no say in any decisions. As a married man myself, I know that if I make a decision without telling Melinda, I'm sleeping on the couch, okay? But here's what I think Paul is saying. A woman whose life is shaped by truth will put her family first. First. She will seek out what's best for her family and those who she loves. She's productive in whatever she puts her mind to. She doesn't waste precious time, and this includes single women. And here's a side note. If this godly woman is a stay-at-home mom, she doesn't think that's a waste of time either. So let me encourage all the stay-at-home moms I know there are stay-at-home dads, and this would apply to you. You're not missing out on life because you're at home with your kids. You're not less of a person because... You didn't finish your laundry because you've been chasing around your kids all week, cleaning permanent marker off their faces because your baby kept you up all night. This world is a better place because of what you do. So don't for one second ever think you're less than. You're doing a terrific job. And for the parents or single parents who have to work outside jobs and, and, and raise your children, my hat comes off to you. You're also doing a terrific job. So what is paul's point for telling titus all this he wants titus to teach the older women that if truth shapes your life your life can shape others but for what reason look at the end of verse 5 so that no one will malign the word of god this can also mean that no one can blaspheme or slander or defame the word of God. Paul goes back to the word of God. God's word through the Holy Spirit is what transforms and shapes us. And like a ripple effect, it can help shape other people. So what does this all look like practically? I want to share a few thoughts with the older men and women who are listening to me right now. And the first one is this. As long as you're breathing, God has a purpose for you. When you're a Christian, let me let me just say there's no retirement, okay? If you're retired and you follow Jesus, you know what that means? It only means God has more time to work on you and through you. Like look around at the younger folks in our church and in your life. We would like to pretend, we all want to pretend that we have it all together and sure i can learn how to fix a washer by searching for it on google but google can't teach me how to get through watching my best friends and family members pass away google can't teach me how to be a man that is worthy of respect in every situation google can't teach me how to have healthy endurance so that when i do go through storms in life i can set my hope on Jesus Christ. Older men and women, that's where you come in. You are the Google we need. You are teaching us without even trying. You're not done. In some ways, you're just getting started. Here's another thought. Turn your pain into purpose, not judgment. In many ways, yes, we have it much easier than you had it when you were our age, but I beg you, please don't use that phrase. When I was your age, I walked five miles to and from school Like, our pain and struggles, yeah, they're very different, but every generation has them. Today, we're dealing with school shootings. We're dealing with satanic clubs made for our children. We live in an age where our kids can be at home under our roof and be unsafe because they're connected to the world through the internet. Remember COVID? Yeah, that happened, but we're currently living through a pornography epidemic, We're living in a world where depression, anxiety, and suicide are serious problems starting with our children. I can't speak for every young person, but as for me, I'm here to say your pain has purpose. So please don't use it to minimize what we're going through. Instead, allow God to use it to help us get through it. Let me encourage you by saying this. Let your life be evidence that God's word is true. Like Paul wrote, so that no one will malign The word of God. We want to look at your life and see that we have hope. Hope that we can live a life free from addiction. Hope that marriage can truly be for life. Hope that we can run from our lustful desires. Hope that not every parent will screw it up. I love what theologian Warren Wiersbe says. He writes, one of the strongest forces for spiritual ministry in the local church lies with the older believers. And I am so thrilled that our church is investing more time in focusing on this. Maybe you've heard people say, the future of the church is our kids. Now, I would reply by, by saying, actually, our kids are the church right now. But if the older believers in our churches don't show us what a life shaped by the truth looks like, here's what's at stake. The future of the church will only continue to be our kids and youth if they see evidence that what we're teaching here actually works. Let your life be evidence that it's worth clinging to Jesus. If all we see is a bunch of older men and women who are grumpy, complaining about life, and the opposite of what Paul is describing here, why would our kids and youth want to continue being part of the church? We need you. I wanna be able to raise my kids by pointing at you and saying, you see what what you can become when you are faithful to Jesus? Look at how honorable that that older man is. Look at how generous and kind and beautiful that older woman is. Mom and dad want to be like them someday. We need to see evidence that what the Bible says is true. And you might be thinking, okay, Tim, I'm sold. I want in. How do I do that? Where do I start? And if you need ideas, feel free to reach out to me. We can brainstorm together, but here are just a few ideas. Invite younger people for coffee. If you don't like coffee, drink tea. If you don't like tea, drink Coke. I don't care. But let me tell you, some young adults in our church have told us that they would love to have a grandfather or grandmother figure in their life. I personally never got to know my grandfather, so I have to come to terms with that. But you can be our grandfather's and grandmother, start a conversation. Invite someone for coffee. Our church has opportunities for you to rub shoulders with younger people coming up soon. We have a men's night coming in June. We have a women's Bible study this summer and a men's Bible study in the fall. Like, sign up, try it out, start relationships. And you don't need to be a Bible scholar to make an impact. Like, maybe you've been a Christian for not too long, maybe a year. That's okay. Your life experience. And your love for Jesus is what we need. Maybe you're older and not married, and you're wondering, well, how can I teach someone younger how to love their spouse if I'm not married? Well, your experience in life, your love of God's word and observation of other people have shown you what it looks like to love someone. If the truth shapes your life, your life can shape others. So I want to take a moment to pray I'd love to ask you to close your eyes and ask God what your next step is. Maybe you're younger and you just desperately need evidence that following Jesus is worth it, evidence that the Bible is true. You need a spiritual grandfather, grandmother in your life. Ask God what your next step is. Maybe it's raising your hand and saying, I need help, I need guidance. If you're older, ask what your next step is. Ask him to place someone in your mind who you can invite for coffee. Maybe it's someone in your family or, or perhaps someone in our church. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for giving us people in our church who have been shaped by the truth of your word. God, we pray that you would encourage the older believers to live a life that attracts people to your kingdom. Give them the courage they need to start relationships. Remind them that there is still work that needs to be done. Remind them that they are cherished and their life experience is so valuable to younger people. Lord, I pray that we would begin seeing relationships between the old and young all throughout our church for your glory.